Oh, he just pressed record. I'm Ryan. And I'm God Burrito in my throat. And I'm Steve, and this is 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar buying, selling, trading, modding, fixing, breaking, reviewing, playing, smashing, coming to you live on the internet on a Thursday night podcast. Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. Podcast night. Sounds real sexy. Oh, hey, guys. What what are you doing on a Thursday night? Podcasts in San Diego. Our first ad uh, was not sent to us. I scalped this off of another Facebook group. How dare you? Uh, Christian Blundhole? I don't know. He posted it to Ugly Guitars, a group I'm in, that you guys should all join. I thought uh, you found this on Reverb. No. I I, I, I remember th- you sending this to me. Well, I've, I sent you the Reverb ad, but this person posted their own screen grabs to Ugly Guitars. Go join oh. that group. Uh, tag... <laughs> Christian <laughs> in that group and say, Hey, Ryan's uh, talking about you. But uh, this thing is uh, bonkers. Uh, it's, it's some sort of Mosrite type shape that yeah. has been completely mangled. You can see here a strat bridge, a strat tremolo, a left handed strat tremolo has been mounted behind the bridge. To function kind of like a Bigsby, kind of like yeah, it's like a they did a they got rid of the saddles and made it a string through or yeah a, a top mount and they did uh, they did the Mike Adams pushing thing putting a pickup behind the bridge which I support I think that's a fun mod uh, they ha- it looks like they had a lot of fun with this um, but this guitar just looks pretty wrecked and I honestly doubt the realness of it. It has a Mosrite headstock shape, and it has the Ventures logo on the headstock to make you think it is a Ventures model Mosrite. But there's a lot of tells here that make me think it is not a Mosrite at all. Um, Could for, you tell on the eBay ad what the pickup is? It looks like there's something inscribed on it. But. Oh, well, it looks like a, like a real Mosrite uh, pickup, which is funny, mm. which is a little bit throwing because uh, real Mosrite pickups – Say Mosrite on them. That one says Mosrite of California, which oh, okay. is like a pretty official looking pickup. I'm guessing aftermarket, mm. unless, unless, um, this is an MIJ Mosrite. Ah. Uh, something that threw me is this very plain, uh, uh, neck plate. And as far as I know, the only ones that got that were the MIJs. But um, this nut is really way too sloppy and completely wrong yeah. for any Mosrite. Not to mention it has the truss rod cover, which I don't think any Mosrite ever had a truss rod cover. I think they were uh, heel adjusters. Um, a real Mosrite has a zero fret mm. and then a string guide instead of a nut like this. And this just looks mangled. No matter what. So it's a little bit perplexing to me. Um, I still think that this is some sort of faked AliExpress uh, approximation of a Mosrite that this person dropped a real Mosrite pickup into. And also the fact that it has a humbucker in the neck with a pit guard cut 
really perfectly around it. I think that's a tell as well. Also, it's missing. I mean, it has its it has what looked like original knobs and then an added knob and switch for that behind the bridge pickup. Um, but those are not at all the knobs that would come on any Moserite. I'm actually, I've always thrown off by the whole bridge situation too, because I've never like, no, it's definitely the way not. that I've imagined Moserites are um, cut out for their typical vibrato system wouldn't accommodate this. No. Uh, well, they have kind of like, I mean, you think about it like being kind of like a hybrid between a Bigsby and a Tysco mm -hmm. sort of tremolo. It's usually a giant metal plate that goes all the way around the bridge and forms like a tailpiece. This bridge, I you never would have seen that on an actual Moserite. Are there springs underneath it, or is it like a yeah. Bigsby? Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, on the on the Moserite trim? Yeah, no, it, it's like a Bigsby where the springs top loaded, and there's no actual uh, guts uh, inside the guitar for a Moserite. Steve I, is looking know, at I a picture. I hate to say it. I'm looking at this picture and kind of thinking. You pick, <clears throat> you found an Mij? This I don't. This is an MIJ. The neck plate is a little different than the one that's on the one you're looking at here, I think. Uh huh. Um, because this has like a little bit of a yeah, point yeah. on it. It still has a little bit of a decoration um, to it. But I'm looking at the way the. the uh, I know you guys can't see this, sorry. <laughs> uh, the way the whole bridge situation is, and I, where the pickup sits behind the bridge. Those could be the screws for where the bridge would have been screwed down. It's they just would have had to replace possible. the bridge. It's obviously had like a lot of work to the point where like I, you wouldn't pay. I think they were asking like nine hundred for this. You know, miss me with that. No, I I really doubt this is. There's so many bad clones uh, out there that you know, say ventures on the headstock and are being made in some sort of Chinese factory out there. I don't think this is real. I like the comment in the group Mo's or in the chat Mo's wrong. Mo's wrong. <laughs> I don't think I got a screen grab of the price on this. It's nine it's like nine hundred dollars. Oh did you find it? Yeah it's it's a conversion price so it's like something nine hundred, nine twenty uh nine twenty three US. I do have to admire the commitment to this modification, though, there is something really fun there. Um, I even kind of like the left-handed tremolo um, concept. Oh, I think if this was like, I'm going to throw this out. I I have very little interest in this at all. Yeah, right. But I'm going to throw out that if this was under five hundred dollars, you would have at least <laughs> tried it out. $500 local. If, if this was $500 local, you would have let your hands decide Ooh. whether or not this is worth it. Yeah, I might have gone to check it out. You're right. <laughs> that, Boom. Is, that is a bad thought to have, but you're probably right. Uh, just because it is so crazy, I might have had to go check it out. I'm wondering what the what the battery compartment is for. Is there an active circuit in here? There's a bunch, you know, the normal configuration, I think, is a three knob, um, and there are additional knobs added on. So I'm thinking that there might be some kind of active EQ circuit. Well, there's one knob added on, and I assumed that was for that extra pickup. Mm. And the switch is to turn it on. 
But yeah, there might be something active going on here uh, that we're not aware of. Maybe just that pickup behind the bridge is active and it's active to make it louder. Maybe. Even louder. Maybe that that strap bridge has piezos in it. No, because the strap bridge is, the, the strap bridge is nothing. I know, I know. It's, it's nothing. There's, there's no saddles. There's right. no contact points. Stop saying dumb things on the internet, Ryan. <laughs> That's my job though. <laughs> yeah, so nine twenty three. I'm I'm definitely taking a pass. No, it's way overpriced without being Is a, this in a store? Or does this guy just have like a like lot it's of in amps? A store. I'm getting a store vibe from the shot. But it could be a house. I don't know. And also, like, nine-something hundred dollars. Look at all the freaking cracks. Yeah. This huge ass crack here. Uh, You can get an actual Japanese Moserite for, like, 1,500. That's a hack, dude. Under under two grand. That's a hack. It's a huge-ass crack. (laughs) Huge-ass crack. Uh, There's... I keep missing it. There's a picture of the back. This. There it is. Well, there's these two cracks, and then the picture, the other picture you uh, skipped. There, one of these cracks looks like it runs all the way up to the neck, or it's just the neck is running in the opposite direction. Yeah. No, you can see it. It's a little hard to tell from my you angle. See my, see my pen. I'm pointing. Yeah. Point. Point. Pointing. At it. <laughs> can't see what I'm pointing. I think my at. yeah, my mouse is on. You see, it displays there. Oh, so there we go. People can see me pointing there. If they could even, if there's we need enough a green pixels. screen back here oh that just shows whatever you put on here, and then we can point. I think that's too much information for a rig to handle here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this guitar has seen serious abuse. Honestly, five hundred dollars that you pitched earlier is too much unless they can prove to me like, oh no, this is an actual Moserite. Uh, it's just gone through some changes because in that case I might, I might go nine, I might go 500 just for the neck and be like, well, I can try to salvage the rest. Mm. Um, but as it is right now, I'd be going to check it out in person and I'd be like, if I liked it at all, I'd be like, let me know if you don't get any offers and I've got 350 that I'll come back and get it for, you know, that's kind of how I feel about it. But anyways, anyway, or just don't buy one of those. Go buy a Hallmark. Hallmark makes a there great, you go. great like Moserite. What a thousand bucks? Yeah, they're nine hundred. Uh, they're, they're uh, uh, I think they're just north of 1100? like eleven hundred dollars, and then you got to factor in shipping and tax and stuff like that. So out the door, they're probably like a thirteen hundred dollar guitar. There you go, thirteen hundred dollars. Brand spanking new, come in cool colors. They play great. Hallmarks are pretty much the best. Uh, like brand new factory production Moserite out there. Yeah, I've got the swept wing back there, but they make like a uh, they make a, a Moserite style uh, body too, and a few others. <laughs> this is a real thoroughbred horse. It's dead though. Thanks, uh, <laughs> MJD Bruyan. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun joke. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so what's new, Steve? You got anything new to talk about? We are in the process of completely tearing my house apart. Why? What'd you do? Um, oh, organizing. Basically, the downstairs clo- uh, closet. I thought you lost your keys or the something. Downstairs closet where I had all my guitars has been exposed. Oh, no! I, 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 you know, we're actually trying to clear out that closet so I can put more guitars in there. <laughs> um, but we're moving. Uh, we're moving the computer down there, and so I, I'm trying to. I keep telling myself i'm going to sell stuff Mm -hmm. but the problem is is every time i'm like oh i should go take pictures of all of the things that are in my outside storage that i can sell or just give away or whatever i'm like oh yeah it's winter now Um, yeah it's dark 
Uh, so I can't do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I put my custom amp up on Facebook Marketplace on Craigslist. It's been on offer up for like a year. Oh, uh, I forgot you had that thing. One hit. Uh, yeah, one hit wonder. Um, so you got to just not, sell it cheap. And I don't want to ship it. Well, that's the thing. It's like it's. I have it up for like 200 bucks. It's yeah. like, what's the price for a 15 slash four watt? You know, it's a Pento uh, triode switchable tube amp. Um, or I think that's how they they do it in that one. So it's 15 watts at full power, four watts at at basically at quarter power. Like, what's that worth? Like, what is like two hundred dollars already sounds like a really good price. You should do trade bait with it. You should be like, hey, I'll take trades and just see what you get offered. You never know. No, yeah. might get offered a pedal, and it's way easier to you know ship a pedal. That's true. That's true. So there's that. Think about that yeah. for a while, Steve. I should just and if someone sends me an interesting pedal that's only like 150 bucks or 100 bucks, maybe I'll just. I, I got room on my shelf, I think. Hmm. So you know something you should consider in reorganizing your house. Uh, there's a lot of room that you're not utilizing behind the drywall. I think you should strip back the drywall, and now you've got extra like shelf space. Uh, in between the studs. Oh my god! Your wife and kid will love the industrial look. Yeah, yeah. I've just got to get rid of all that pink insulation that protects yeah. my neighbors from the noise that I make. That's just that's that's just high tech cotton candy. Your kids will love it. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh, daddy, my tummy feels itchy. <laughs> Drink some water and have some more cotton candy. Oh, boy. We got to get rid of all this stuff to make more room for petals. <laughs> uh, this is the part of the show where you ask me. Oh, Ryan, what's new, new with you? I splurged a little while ago and I got myself something. UP- USPS padded envelopes? Well, I got those too. We can talk about that in a second. Uh, my wife and I uh, got to have a little bit of like very light date Mm -hmm. someone a relative was watching the kids and we decided to just go out and like do some window shopping be out of the house wear our masks in public you know that sort of thing and we ended up at world market okay and they had this leather chair there Mm. and it was armless and i was like this would be perfect for sitting and playing guitar in in the living room right because right now we have couches that have really tall arms on them yeah and we had this ikea chair that's got arms on it and mm-hmm. none of the furniture is really comfortable for playing guitar in uh we walked away from it i looked it up um it looked like this it looked like leather right but then we looked it up and it's actually like a composite leather like it has a layer of leather with like a plastic layer over top of it to give it texture and color and whatnot oh interesting so it was it was way overpriced and it was it World Market? That's I, what you said. Uh, now I, I might be getting the name of the, sh- the shop wrong. But anyways, uh, it was way overpriced for our budget. It was like nearly 500 bucks after taxes and stuff like wow. that. Wow. I'm like, I could get half a couch with 500 bucks. <laughs> so I'm not going to buy just a chair. I'll sell you a whole couch for 500 bucks. So I came home, started looking around on a Craigslist, like, oh, what else is out there? I just, right. searched, I just searched for a leather chair. And the exact chair popped up. On Craigslist, Dang. 250 bucks. so I went and bought it. There's nice. A, there's a picture of it. This nice. is fun, like, wide, armless 
leatherish chair. And you got the scrot on it. I've got the scrot resting on it in this photograph. And I'm very happy with it, and I think it actually looks a lot more handsome than the chair that we had there in the living room. So, yeah, I, I bought, I treated myself, guys. I nice. bought myself a little piece of furniture. The wife and the kids love it. It's a, it's part of the family now. It's got these like you know Danish modern style spindle mm. legs on it. It's my style. So that's my what's new. Not, I bought a chair. <laughs> not to hijack your what's new, um, uh-huh. but, uh, the new Firefly guitar came out. It's also an Epiphone Century clone. Is it really? And the it's got two pickups, but otherwise, yeah, it's basically an Epiphone Century. And I'm not sure if it's the thin body like the Grote or not, but the Firefly group that I'm in because you got kicked out of it <laughs> uh, is like freaking out about, oh, the new thing, the new thing, uh, whatever, whatever. And I just want to, every time I see someone talking about it, I just want to be like, this looks a lot like the Grote. Looks pretty Grote, guys. It looks, it looks a lot like a guitar Grote's been producing for a while. Yeah. Or that Epiphone's been producing. For like 60, 70 yeah. years. Well, or, they produced it 60, 70 years ago, and then they started producing it again three years right. ago. Right. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I think the Grote is 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 a lot of fun. A two-pickup version, I have to admit, would be double the fun, maybe, if my math is right. <laughs> Yeah. I still want to do some fun modifications to the Groat. Uh, mm, someone suggested like putting, because it's a jazz guitar, someone mm-hmm. suggested putting a Jazzmaster pickup in the neck. Oh, I thought you were going to uh, put a Jazzmaster bridge, on, bridge <laughs> and tram on it. Well, when you think about it, it's not impossible. <laughs> it's not impossible. It's not impossible. <laughs> Uh, oh, the, the mailers. You mentioned the mailers. Oh, yeah. So I've been trying to order more uh, padded United Postal Service. Uh, oh, United States Postal United Service. United States Postal Service mailers, the priority flat rate shipping mailers mm-hmm. forever. Months now. I keep – I like once a month I order like, like more of them. Like uh, send them to me. Just send them to me so I can sell pedals. Steve heard my plight. I think you went to your office and used your office account to order no, some? No, I did just from my personal, personal account? account and just changed the shipping address. Steve did it from his personal account, and they were sent to me lickety-split. And so I got this box of, what, like 30 of them? Uh, should have been 60. 60 of them, which means now I have an extra lot of them. This gigantic <laughs> box that happened to be nearly halfway full of these mailers. Yeah. Literally a couple days later, my one one of my orders showed up. So now I have over a hundred of these things. <laughs> but if you're using if you're using the Pennington method and three at a time, right, right. you're that thirty pedals and you're done. Well, I'm honestly thinking about using them as bubble wrap to pack guitars now. There you go. There but you go. Double layer that. I've probably made three orders over the past couple months. Are there gonna be two more orders showing up? I have no idea. Ah, man. Did you send them here or did you try to send those to 60 Cycle Hum in the post office? No, I sent them here. 60 Cycle Hum Avenue Street? (laughs) What does it mean? A little little bit of sneak preview. Uh, Just a second here. Sneak preview? Oh, this uh, this is the packet. So I thought we talked. Did we not talk about this? We have not talked about this. I've been working something out with Boss. Uh, That's Boss. Basically, I pitched to Boss. Hey, uh, well, they, they asked me, like, hey, Ryan, uh, are there, like, any fun concept videos you want to do with boss pedals? And I was like, I don't know. We could do anything. Like, I could look. This is a crazy idea. Like, I could compare 
all the boss delay pedals. And they were like, okay. <laughs> I was not expecting them to agree to that. Uh, so they were supposed to start shipping stuff to me and nothing arrived. So I hit up my guy and I was like, um, hey, nothing's arrived. Are we still doing this? And he got back to me. He's like, okay, so the boss guys uh, at, at the U.S. office, they thought 60 Cycle Hum was your address and street. <laughs> so everything got sent back, returned to sender. So we fixed that. Uh, I've got the DD200 in and the DD500. <laughs> and this is just the beginning. Uh, there's some stuff that is still waiting to be shipped obviously, but that's going to be a bonkers video. Every boss delay currently in production. And I'll probably throw in You're some... You're going to run them in serial or parallel? <laughs> I'm going to have to get a bunch of amps so I can run them all in parallel. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be really bonkers. And I think I'm going to throw in a few uh, boss delays that are not in production that I have around here still just to... You should just you know, do make it do extra a, crazy. You need to do a head-to-head the DD3 versus the DD3T. I'll do it. I've got two DD3s I dare, here. I dare you to do it. Fine, I'll do it. You have two DD3s. <laughs> and I've got a DD6. I think ultimate DD3 shootout. DD3 versus DD3. It's a DD DD6. <laughs> can can you use two DD3s One. to make a DD6? Find out today on 60 Cycle Hub. Stereo DD3. (laughs) And, well, one of the DD3s is broken. It only does one repeat. And I can't figure out why. That's weird. It's a really weird way for a pedal to be broken. Like something shorted out on on the pot for the repeats or something like that. And I've cracked it open to look at it like, oh, could I work on this? I'm like, no, I can't work on this. (laughs) It's an older one. It's not like it's micro SMD, but it's still like, man, that's tight. I know my soldering skills. I'm going to ruin this. Right. I should take it with me next time I visit a repair person or a pedal person. Like I should gift. I should gift it to one of the pedal builders in our lives and be like, "Fix this, then give it away." There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsors. Yeah. This first uh, sponsor. For the show, we would like to thank uh, for sponsoring the show is Big Ear. There it is. Pedals, uh, Grant and Karen. Actually, I saw making a whole bunch of Albies. Yep. The multi-effect, uh, curated multi-effect. Is the curated multi-effect. There you go. <laughs> uh, the Albie is an 8 slash 16 mode pedal. Because you got eight modes, right? You've got eight modes, and then you've got, you got the eight Neil modes. Ultra Neil. Ultra Neil modes. Ultra Super Neil modes. So you could do either as uh, something that you ramp in and out or that you hard select and go back back and forth between. Yeah. If you're like me and you want to dial in a bunch of modulated effects all at once, but you don't want to take the time uh, to really like tweak a bunch of knobs. Grant, I mean, Grant, you- Grant did all the work. Do you Already. want like new wavy sorts of sounds without having to do all the work? Do you want to without having a, to collect a whole bunch of crazy '80s retro pedals? Now you can just get all those sounds locked up across eight presets in one pedal. You've only got to buy one pedal. Get Robert Smith on the phone. I'm sure he'd love one. You can play with his big old black baritone. Play uh, play cure songs about the trees. So 
yeah. Go check out Big Ear Pedals. Uh, longtime friends of the show. Uh, people that we chat with on a personal level all the time. We love those folks over there at Big Ear, Grant and Karen. Uh, so go buy something from them. Go check it out. All right. Uh, topic? Yeah. Did you pick any topics? I haven't looked through these at all. That's a good question. I did not pick a topic, but there was a topic in there that I thought would be fun um, asking us about beard grooming. Really? <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about your beard routine? Sure. I guess. <laughs> because we, I literally don't have a topic figured out right um, now. Unless yeah, you can so find another one quickly. Beard grooming. Do you do anything in particular? Well, yeah. Obviously, I do something. I actually trimmed my beard last night. Uh, I trimmed my neck um, last week, I think. It's already yeah. starting to get a little scruffy down there. But I let it grow for a while. How long do you let your, your neck grow before um, you, you trim it? I let it. I don't have a time. It's just when it starts bugging me. And when it bugs you. So I actually, when I did everything else yesterday, I did that as well. I trimmed everything back down. I had to, I had to make it go with the haircut because it kind of looked like uh, it kind of looked like uh, business in the top. Homeless in the in the bottom, <laughs> instead of like, you know, it's like it's a little. It just didn't fit. Also, so actually, it's funny because uh, one of the thing reasons I trim my beard is because my mask would push ah. it back, and so it was just kind of uncomfortable. And then at the end of the day, I take it off, and my beard's just it's like hat hair, but it's a beard. Uh, so I trimmed it, and now most of my beard pretty much all fits inside my mask. But when I talk. The bottom of my beard it catches in the bottom of the mask and like pulls it down, so that's it's actually more annoying now. Yeah, um, I trim up my neck when I trim the rest, and then I just let it kind of grow out a little bit natural. Yeah. But when I'm getting too bushy here and you know too long in my mustache and it's getting in my mouth and stuff like that, then I just do the neck at the same time because I'm making a mess in the bathroom. I might as well right. do the whole thing. One thing I will say for general beardness, we should is, have done this when we had the Manscaped sponsorship. No, that's how to shave your pubes. Your I know pubes, that's for your pubes. That's for down there. That's not for not, up here. Not that's for just here. that's disgusting. Yeah, uh, that's why you need Manscaped because you don't want to use the same. Steve, you don't Steve, want to use your face. Spo- they're not sponsoring us anymore. Don't. Don't do any favors for them. <laughs> Use uh, code 60 cycle home. Huh? You know out. who is sponsoring us now? Joe Bonamassa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. That'll be a topic. Uh, we'll read that. That Wait, is that a topic tonight or, yeah, or well, a topic ne- next episode? Uh, we can save it for next episode. Okay. So that'll be the teaser. We'll do it next episode. <laughs> um, um, so, so one thing I was going to say okay, is, okay. is there's not necessarily a um, a tried and true method because i know you mentioned something about uh the way that you shape your beard i actually like i think it's it's key to understand what how your head is shaped Mm. how your face is shaped Mm. because the way i usually do mine now and i actually got this from christina uh our our our, hairdresser friend hairdresser friend who still cuts my hair um, she was venturing into beards because her husband's beard game is so weak Uh-oh. that she wanted to learn how to groom beards how to, embarrassing. Make, to make his beard better. And his beard does look better now uh, because she's... If you want a better beard, you need better beard butter. Yeah. Uh, but so for my face, I basically grew, set, uh, trim my beard so it looks good uh, head on. So I go thin on the sides and longer like in the front. So it's like goatee-ish, but not so drastic that it looks like a goatee. Right, right. I actually don't do any formal shaping of my beard. 
Um, I kind of just do the same length all over. I actually need to get a new trimmer because I've been mm-hmm. using the, the the big trimmer, and we only have so many attachments for that. <laughs> uh, the old trimmer went dead on me. But yeah, I, generally, just kind of the same length all over is fine with me. But the area where I'm going to give some tips right now, where you need to spend some real time thinking about your beard shaping, your beard trimming, is your jawline. If you trim your neck the way Steve and I do, um, my technique, and it is a technique, this is important, Uh because I've seen, I see it a lot in young people and people who don't fully understand what they're doing with their beard is they trim too high because they're trying to simulate, oh. you know, a, uh, they're trying to simulate this hard, uh, you know, attractive masculine jawline. Right. But they're going too high. And what happens is when they talk, they don't realize it. The beard is jumping above their jawline. So this is actually what I wanted to ask you about because I didn't understand what you were trying to say because you said that there was like some kind of approach that you took that had to do with like. Yeah, yeah. So having your mouth yeah. wide open or something. So what I do is I drop my jaw as wide as I can, like this. Okay. And then I touch where my jaw was on my neck. And you can see it's pretty far down there now. That is where you trim to. So uh, I think I go a little higher, but I, I definitely but I don't the, like I'm not on the jaw for sure. Yeah, you don't you don't want to have your jaw dropping below your beard because then it you know it's like showing all your cards. It's showing what you got. You want to hide that pathetic mm-hmm. chin that you're hiding underneath your beard. <laughs> <laughs> so guys out there, do that trick. It'll make your beard look better with better beard butter. <laughs> if it's patchy, if you got a patchy, oh, so the other, do you use anything else? Do you use any kind of like? No. Uh, I shampoo my beard when I shampoo my hair. Mm. That's I, wa- I That's wash what it. I do. I'm a fairly oily person, and mm. you can quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, we can tell. I, you look oily right now. I feel oily right now. I don't need any sort of conditioners, even in my in my head hair. Like I don't yeah. need conditioner. I don't need anything like that. I can shampoo my hair every day, and it doesn't ever dry out because I'm just a, a, an oil slick over here. I'm just a grease <laughs> stain on the world. <laughs> I uh, I've purchased beard oil. I've, I make my own beard oil, but I use coconut oil as a base. So that's ah, okay. kind of weird because it, 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 uh, it solidifies actually probably now you should use peanut uh, oil. It has a, a higher burn temperature. <laughs> well, I think like <laughs> coconut oil is probably the worst oil to use for that thing, but, but it's good for, um, it's like good for your skin. It just, it solidifies. Um, but I use that. With uh, a little bit of lavender in it, a little bit of lavender, and a little bit of a cedar. Mm. So it's a nice cedar. It's a nice, nice. calming, woody smell. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I have a, I just bought a wooden beard comb that I have at home that I actually only use that. Um, And I've I've wanted a a bristle brush, but I've always heard they were good. But yeah, uh, David six six five said when I had when I wore a beard, I would brush it every day with a bear bristle brush i think that is a big thing is like you do need to um welcome to 60 cycle hum the beard podcast. i think you do need to like br- uh, for me at least i i need to brush mine out or comb mine out uh yeah. pretty much i do it like twice a day yeah at least twice a day i also have this this sick sick fun thing over here i got a few years ago you have a it's, little kit it's a little metal oh uh, yeah yeah i got a beard card it's got a coin opener and this one's not this one's works but uh it looks heavy duty it looks like a weapon it's a little it's it can kind of be a little rough yeah it's a little pokey a little pokey there on your face area all right (laughs) 
Next ad. Now that we've talked yeah. about Do you want to talk, let's talk about these Epiphones, man? Epiphones? I, that was supposed to be the topic. Idiot. Oh, it was? Yeah. Well, now it's an ad. It's an ad topic. Let me get to it. <laughs> uh, Epiphone is re-releasing a bunch of things and cease and desisting the hell out of satellite. Yeah. Well, let's not talk about satellite. <laughs> I'm rooting for satellite that they get to continue making the model guitar that they're making. Maybe they'll have to change the name. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not up on whatever's going on there. This uh, Crestwood is hot, though, man. I like the look of that Crestwood. That and, friggin' wood tone t- vibrato. Yeah, and the fact that they went for the full uh, you know, style of that vintage vibrato instead of just slapping yeah. a Bixby on there or something else. Dang. Uh, yeah. D- Daddy like. <laughs> that was really gross Don't to say. Don't ever do that again, please. <laughs> I, I, I regretted to, it the moment I was in the first syllable of it. I have it. to say, this style and also this style and the... Uh, so this came up, I think, we, we talked about this a while ago. So I think this particular shape was only made by Epiphone originally from, like, 1959 to, like, 1961. Yeah, yeah. And then for most of the lifespan of the Wilshire Crestwood and, um, I want to say Corona, Coronet uh, guitars, they had, like, this offset, which is what the 90s reissues were for uh-huh. the most part, was was more of a offset body. Um Maybe we can get Emily and Andrew to talk about it over on the Get Off. Yeah, go talk about the. They can't talk about these. They can talk about the '90s reissues, though. Yeah, because they're offset. Um, Anyway, I've always thought the big pick guard single pickup version of both these and the offset bodies looked like trash. Oh, you don't like that? Uh, It's there's just. It kind of has a face hugger vibe to it, that big white pit guard. Okay, that makes it more tolerable to me, to me, (laughs) because my problem is this, and it's weird. I think it's because of the pit guard, but it's so much negative space. But I like that. It's too much negative space for me. Steve, you live in negative space, though. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) Part of me, like, if, if I was to pick one of these, it would be really hard between the coronet and the Crestwood, the Wilshire's right out. It's too much, or it's not. En- it's not enough, and it's too much. <laughs> Where like the Coronet is nice and simple, nice right. and simple, and you know, kind of restrained. A single pickup, two knobs, wraparound bridge, and then the Crestwood goes over the top with options with the trim, and you know, two pickups and the four knobs sort of setup and whatnot. There's something about the middle option. That is just like my my mind rejects it for some reason. Mm. Like, why would I do that? Like, I want I want so those, mini, want those buckers. mini buckers. I want those mini buckers. I want um, that. Uh, I want that wood uh, badged tremolo. That thing is so cool. Oh, it's so slick. I like the headstocks on these. I like that they're going with the three three by three. Yeah, um, and also the prices on these are making me think that they're gonna be good Epiphones. Right, they're on the the. They're on the edge. Upper edge. They're like five, I think five fifty to like six fifty, something like that. I think the Crestwoods are five fifty and then everything else gets cheaper underneath. Okay. I couldn't remember that which one was the the most or least. The Crestwood is the most. I think and I'm pretty sure it's like five fifty. I could be could be wrong on that. You might be right at six fifty. Uh but that's kind of the edge where epiphones can be pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Although I was hearing that those Les Pauls they had at the last NAM on delivery, there were fret issues and neck issues with them. Um, so I'm hoping 
Philip Carter confirms you are correct. The Crestwood is 550. I'm hoping that uh, they figured out whatever factory issues they were having that were causing neck and fret issues uh, at Epiphone. But knowing Gibson, they might just lean into it and say it's a feature. The problem is, is they were getting these made at the Firefly factory. <laughs> is that what's going on? I don't know. <laughs> no, that's, that's, why the, that's why the frets are a roller coaster. Or they're, you know, maybe they were made at the same factory that made the Epiphone SL because the frets on that were the worst frets I've ever encountered in my life. Like the edges of them were fine. I'm always looking at the ends of the frets. I've never encountered frets that were such a roller coaster ride where I had to level so many of them to get the guitar playable. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I hope these are good. The last time there was a Wilshire uh, reissue, um, I had the opportunity to play the reissue right next to. Uh, a vintage one yeah. at um, what was that shop up in uh, Carlsbad? Buffalo Brothers at Buffalo Brothers, and I was just blown away by how much better the vintage one was. Like worlds different mm-hmm. than the reissue, even though visually, even though kind of specs and construction wise, it seemed like it should have been very similar. There right. was just something else about that vintage one, uh, and I'm not someone who's a snob about that sort of thing. So I'm hoping that they figured out how to make these really fun. I kind of want to see one of these side by side with an older one because I feel like this isn't exactly – is the body shape exactly the same? It looks a little it, soft. No, the originals were pretty damn soft. They're really round. They don't have hard edges. They don't do – No, no, I know. The I thing know. is these are – Steve, these are Epiphone guitars. Like – I know what they're not. They're not. They're, they're, not, they epi- they're not Epiphone guitars meant to be a version of a Gibson guitar. This is I an know. Epiphone guitar, pre-Gibson Epiphone design, and so it's going to be a little different than you're used to, Steve. You're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> oh, you're looking at an original mm-hmm. to compare it. Five thousand dollars, five hundred dollars. Yeah, close enough. Get the new one. I mean, if the <laughs> if the vintage ones are five thousand dollars, I say go get a satellite because <laughs> the the satellite versions are really nice. I'll say that. I like that they're doing this headstock badge on them too. Always really admired the Epiphone uh, pressed metal yeah uh, headstock what badge. Headstock did the old ones have? Do they have that one? Probably. Do, 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 and you know they've they've brought back the big open book shape too, so that's part of that. So I don't know. I, I have hope that these will be really great. Do you have high hopes? I've got high hopes. Um, I don't think I apple pie in the sky hopes. I don't think I'm motivated enough to get one to cover it. Just tell Epiphone to send you one for free. Yeah, because that happens. Epiphone and Gibson are one of the brands that are nearly impossible to get in contact with as a uh, as an influencer. You just got to call Joe Bonamassa. <laughs> well, apparently he wants to work with us, or at least his PR team does. No, it's not even his PR it's team. It's not even his PR team. We got a, we got a fun email today. We're going to talk about it on next week's episode. Yep. So uh, there's a little clickbait for you. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. I guess we could have jumped into the next ad here. I didn't have to take that away, uh, did I? No, we have a sponsor spot. There. Another sponsor spot? Another sponsor yeah, right here. Ryan, there's another sponsor spot right here. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about the new Epiphones? It would have been nice if we would have done a little research and like talked about specs probably. But when instead, we're going to talk about ChaseBlissAudio.com. Chase Bliss update on this day in November. Whatever this date happens to be. Chase Bliss news in the news. Don't worry. 
they're making more oh, of Bliss the Factory. Bliss Factory. More Bliss Factories are coming down the pipeline. Somebody listed one on Gear Talk Classifieds for $1,000. Guys, just wait like a couple months or three months or four months. I don't know. Yeah. But just wait. Just wait. There's going to be more. These Here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. We know that you're buying them to flip them. We know that that happens. Uh, when you buy them and you flip them before they even show up, like you're putting up pictures of, you know, that came off the website. You don't even have your own picture. You're just That's telling, not even legal. You're just telling the world that you're an asshole. That's the reality. That's not this is an official Chase with sponsorship right now. They didn't give us a script. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying you're an asshole. Deal with it. Um but anyways, uh to deal with the fact that everyone's so upset about all these scalpers taking advantage of this limited run. Uh it sounds like Joel's gonna have a bunch more made. Yeah. Uh so uh those of you who bought it to scalp it, uh screw you, apparently. Uh and everyone who actually wants one, hold tight. Um, it sounds like there's going to be more on the market eventually here. It sounds like they're pretty cool. I, I was getting a kick out of um, reading posts from people who got theirs and hadn't had prior experience with fuzz factories and were like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. <laughs> on certain settings, it just makes this high-pitched whine. And <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And all the comments replying to those people like, it's a fuzz factory. That's what they do. I'm yeah, so glad it yeah. does that. So, so what's funny is, I and I've also seen, um, and this is a thing. You know, actually, we could have talked about at any point, but we'll talk about it now, I guess. Uh, first of all, go to chaseplusaudio.com. Digital brain, analog heart, chaseplusaudio. Yeah, freaking fantastic. Go titles. support them because they support the entertainment that you love on yeah. 60 Cycle Home. Uh, so I have seen similar comments. I've seen people saying. Uh, oh, I got the Bliss Factory, and I can't find a single usable sound in this pedal. And set, half the comments are like, if you can't find a single usable sound in a Chase Bliss pedal, just quit guitar. <laughs> uh, and the other half were like, yeah, it's a fuzz factory. Yeah, that, it's all unusable sounds. That's what's so usable about th- it. That being said, like um, I was listening. I posted this on I, – I pretty much run our Twitter now. I, I don't know why I'm trying to bring it back, but I am. Let it die, Steve. Um and uh, we are going to be the new draw to Twitter in 2021. Trump is out. 60 cycle there, hum is in. We're going to be the main draw. There will draw. be no 60 cycle hum parlor, by the way. That place has a freaking cesspool. <laughs> Steve signed up. He checked it out. He knows. <laughs> I, I saw you hashtag guitar. <laughs> I heard it's a platform for spe- free speech and they don't even let women post naked pictures of themselves. Free speech. Okay. But they let the men do it, huh? How dare they? Figures. Anyway, uh, enough parlor talk. Uh, I was I was listening the other day to um, just a mix of like 90s alterna pop kind of stuff. So like- I'm shocked that you would be doing so like, that. Yeah. So like Gin Blossoms, mm-hmm. Blues Traveler. Oasis. Oh, nah, I didn't have Oasis. Oasis never popped up. Bush, Bush. popped up. Uh, Dishwalla. Oh, wow. And what I was surprised about in all of this Goo Goo Dolls, whatever, is how much fuzz was on those songs. Fuzz. And so, like, one of them was um, Tonics, If You Could Only See, which I've always, I guess, in my head known that there were some, like, heavier guitar parts on it. Mm -hmm. But I was listening to it going, like, that's not, like, just heavy guitar. That's, like, full on just a fuzz pedal. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. Just and then, dry fuzz. And the thing that re- I re- all reminded me of is 
listening to an episode of the podcast Song Exploder, and I think I've talked about it on this show before. Here we go. Um, where they interviewed the dude from Semisonic and how a Semisonic, I think, is from Minneapolis. And he was like, yeah, so uh, I wanted – I couldn't figure out what to do for like the guitar solo on the song, like the sound that I wanted on it. And he's like, I got this pedal from this local guy. It's called a Fuzz Factory. <laughs> And it was just like, just full on, like that was his whole thing. He's like, yeah. He was like, that was a fuzz factor. I'm listening. To him, I'm like, that's like one of the sickest, like '90s, like as far as like pop guitar goes. Like that was a super cool riff. I'm like, oh, that's that's a super usable sound from a fuzz factory too. Yeah. And so you know, it's like you said with the bliss factor. It's like now you can get what probably three or four. Well, oh wait, are we still in the sponsorship? Out, we're not in the sponsorship, but it feels like we are. We're still in the sponsorship, guys. We never um, left. But uh, you're in this, uh, you got like a fuzz factory, but you've really got like three, like what, two, three fuzz factories. If you add on a MIDI extension, I mean, I just got like five fuzz factories. I just want to like set up a bunch of MIDI presets dialing different, you know, tones from the self oscillation. Mm -hmm. I want to have a preset that you control the, uh, the range of that oscillation, the pitch of that oscillation with an expression pedal, things like that. Like, yeah. To me, like a fuzz factory chaseless pedal sounds incredibly fun. So if they pop up again, I know that even a new run will be limited release. So I'm not going to. I don't think they are. Well, if they become a production pedal, I'll probably buy one if they don't send me one. So I'll say that that's a big deal. Just, that's just, a big deal when a demo boy says he's going to bust out some money and buy I'm, something. I'm already planning on buying one. Damn. I'm actually really pissed. I didn't buy one. I went back and forth, and I, I did. The problem is, that I, I didn't think about the logistics of it. I was like, "Oh, Bliss Factory, four hundred dollars. That's a lot for a fuzz." Then I, I didn't think about like a hand painted Fuzz Factory is like already two hundred and fifty, three hundred dollars. Yeah, you're already there. So it's not really that much more money. No, no. Now, if they could make a hand painted Bliss Factory, that would be worth over six thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you tried to do there, and the yeah, number, I failed. The number is nine thousand. Nine thousand. I, I God, the, do you even anime, Ryan? I don't anime. I'm All so right. sorry. Uh, you want to do a topic? Uh, yeah. Well, the next topic is an album, and it happens to be review. Joe's Garage by the one, the only Frank Zappa. This is the worst blackface I've ever seen, which is almost makes it like redeemable blackface. Um, I'm. I mean. I think Frank Zappa clearly, by like listening to this album, I think we've discovered that he's someone who uh, uh, flirts with the problematic and knows that it's problematic. I think there's a lot of heavy sarcasm there in pushing yeah. uh, the borders of taste and decency. You know, he I I feel like I know more about him as a uh, as a public figure than I was familiar with his music and just knowing how outspoken he is about censorship and things like that and you know, the arts and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so to, there's to, probably to, definitely a mes message there with his blackface on the, on the I, cover. I, I'll just, so somebody said, somebody said like, is it, it's never redeemable. And I, I don't, I, I agree. Like if it, what I'm saying is like, this is so bad. I actually had to look it up to figure out whether or not this was supposed to be blackface. Well, and, and it is, we're talking about an album here. Uh, it's a concept album that is very long, by the way. Isn't this thing like two hours? It's almost two hours long. I do not know why 
why we did. Well, I kind of know why we did it, but we were talking about doing a, a Zappa album because I'd never listened to one all the way through. Um, and I've got interest in checking out the uh, documentary on Zappa that Alex Winter is putting together. I keep seeing him promote that on, on social media. So I thought it would be fun to check out a Zappa album. I had no idea it would be a two hour long commitment and I'd end up listening to a concept album uh, about uh, a, a man becoming a rock star and then uh, turning into a robosexual. Something like that. He, uh, he becomes sexually involved with appliances. Is what goes on in this album? It's really I don't I don't so I I'm of two parts here. One, it starts out a little. A and by little, the way, I just want I just want to say that I am uh, not for blackface. <laughs> I don't want to gloss over that, and make it sound like I'm fine with blackface as a uh, as a creative decision. I think uh, that's should be off topic. So I mean that should be off off limits culturally. I mean there is a song called Greasy. It's not really about it, that there, kind of There greasy, could be a pro- probably an argument from fans of Zappa that that's, that this isn't true blackface and it's a reference to being We've talked about this. greased up and lubricated for robot sex. Uh, oh, is it, so it's supposed to be oil. Because I've, some of the commenters maybe, are saying it's oil face. Maybe. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to try to figure all that out right now. Let's talk about the music on the right. album. So first of all, this is a rock <laughs> opera. Uh, which makes a lot of sense uh-huh. when you listen to it. Um, <laughs> I, one of my, I, I kind of went off and on uh, this. Um, at first, there were like elements of it that just made me think of like something that would be on Pee Wee's Playhouse. It can. It has some moments that are very cartoony. And then I realized that the central scrutinizer, which is Frank Zappa's voice, actually just sounds like a Mike Judge Beavis and Butthead character. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thing going that. On. Like, hello, this is the central scrutinizer. I need TV for my bunghole. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I was just waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. I kind of wish those tracks weren't hard baked into the songs. I wish they were like mm. in between tracks. So you could skip them. So you could skip them. <laughs> uh, but, you know, whatever. Uh, they do drive the album as a concept and it's not yeah, like otherwise the songs don't make any sense it's not like any of these songs are radio songs so it's not like it matters that they're hard baked in it's not like oh man how are we going to cut around you don't think cyborg is a radio hit waiting to happen i think the most radio ready song on the album is why does it burn when i pee <laughs> Not Fembot in a wet t-shirt <laughs> no. uh, what about crew slut Oh my gosh, jeez. Oh man, this Unlo- album goes unlike, places. Unlike a Telefunken U47, this Lewitt microphone does not look like a penis. No. I Did you Google that microphone? Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing. I mean, it looks like a it looks just like a it looks like a Neumann or everything else. Yeah, now, it's a it's a round uh, elongated cylindrical shape. I could see how it could be interpreted as phallic. I have, I have no, I, I'm not going to contest that. I mean, personally, I've got an SM57 over here. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I think this, the, one of the issues is this does the thing that like other rock operas of the three that I've now listened to, mm-hmm. 
uh, in the done. trilogy of rock operas. No, that they're you've not been a collecting. trilogy because they're not related. <laughs> um, but uh, they kind of do this thing where it's like the there's no set genre. It's just all over the place. Right. All of the vocals are, you know, uh, just all over the map as well. Like they're just. Um, uh, exaggerations right they're stage they're stage voices there's a know? there's a lot of it where it's like a spoken word art thing yeah. happening um i kind of want to see, like i feel like this also sounds perverted but i kind of want i, I kind of want to see what the movie version of this is because i imagine it's I like i do not want to watch this it's movie. like fast times meets um almost famous meets futurama right right like the back half of this album, I'm like, once he once he like ends up at the, uh, about, I was getting like once he starts going to church, I'm like, this is just a really long Futurama. No, episode. this this would be animated and it would be in the style of heavy metal. Have you ever watched heavy metal? Uh like I, it's been a really long time. Like that 80s, late 70s. It's like the comic book art, rotoscoped right? style kind of art set in a desert wasteland. Yeah. Large-breasted women, you know, handling giant battle axes and right, laser guns right. and things yeah. like that. Like it, this album fits in that time, in that cultural aesthetic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of one of my thoughts while listening to it mm -hmm. is, you know, when a performer, an artist, whoever, a comedian, uh has a set of jokes, has a, a type of humor that is meant to be sarcastic and critical of the subject matter. But then the unfortunate thing that happens that the, is that a cer certain segment of the audience that's listening to it doesn't take it as sarcastic. Mm. They take it as embracing the thing that is being lampooned. Fight for your right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot that goes on around Zappa's music around this album because my experience on being, you know, on the internet and in guitar culture and stuff like that and being around musicians is to experience the type hold of on, person. Hold on. You've been on the internet? I have. I have. I've got AOL. Uh, I got a disc in the mail. Um, so, anyways, uh, there's a type of person who references elements of this in a non sarcastic, non critical way of, of, you know, drug, sex, and rock and roll culture. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, hell yeah, man. Oh, yeah, wet t-shirt contest. Hell yeah. Oh, my dick. Right. My dick is like a big microphone. Yeah. Like, and it would have been funny if he would have just done, had, he actually sang about like a little drum mic and people just didn't get the joke. <laughs> but like that element of it is gross to me because I got the vibe from listening to this. Like, this is an indictment. This is a criticism of, a culture uh, gone extravagant and over the top with sexuality and drugs and well, rock I, and roll, but also kinda, at the same time, an indictment on censorship and things like that. Right. Uh, but I took I, it more as the censorship part where it's like, it was singing about the things that everyone who's afraid of it thinks it is. Right. But also like the, the wet t-shirt contest song. Like, I, I don't know if you're, old enough to remember this, but what t-shirts were like a huge cultural thing. Right. When I was a kid, like it was like, Oh my gosh, there's going to be wet t-shirt contests. We've got to go. It's like weekend at Bernie's vibe. Like, Oh, we got to go down to the 
bar. There's going to be a wet t-shirt. They're going to do mud wrestling. Like all that kind of yeah. like uh, edge of strip club, but you can do it in a regular bar sort of stuff uh, in that time. And it, his song felt like a criticism of that culture, not a celebration of it. To I can, me, I can kind of, I can kind of see that. I mean, anyone can listen to this music and interpret and make it whatever they want it to be. But that was my vibe. I was mm-hmm. getting is that there was a lot of heavy sarcasm and kind of just like thumbing his nose at these cultural elements that were going on right. at the time. Um, another thought I was having is that honestly, kind of the big criticisms, the big stabs at music critics about oh yeah at like music industry and things like that i'm like frank zappa if i mean rest in peace if he was still alive today he would be you know a regular on the subreddit i'm 14 and this is deep (laughs) have you ever been there no there's basically people posting screen grabs of people's memes and quotes that are like kind of laughably deep like Okay, yeah, it's your first time having a deep thought, and now you think, like, this meme about society, we all live in a society, is deep. And I was getting that vibe a lot, where I was like, yeah, I get your point, Zappa, but this isn't as challenging as I think maybe you're presenting it. Maybe it's just because I'm a child of the 90s, which is deeply cynical, a deeply cynical time and deeply sarcastic, where Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, embracing commercialism was already, like, gross to young people of my age. So it was like, it's a little lost on me that anyone would criticize it and act like they were doing something special. (laughs) I don't know. Do you have any other big thoughts about the album? I really enjoyed the music of this album. Oh yeah. The the music was top notch. The Uh, the vocals of course were, again, it's, it's, it's a, it's, this is a, was a tough listen at work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i bet hey steve what are you listening to on the clock oh uh, just a song about uh catholic girls having sex with machines oh yeah and catholic girls yeah. about blowjobs for machines and catholic girls yeah uh this Apparently. is a song about uh having sex with a robot so hard that it explodes and now the government is out to get you mm-hmm. to uh, make music illegal because apparently it's music's fault that sex and drugs happen and venereal I mean, diseases. Uh, I will say, like, like I said, the, the music, you know what I mean. Uh, um, the, STDs uh, was uh, this. The music was really good. Um, I would listen. I, I I feel like I could listen to this whole album just as like instrumental. I would I would prefer that. Um, Honestly, like you could hear in this album because everyone who's a little bit off kilter, everyone who's a little bit wild with their music, cites Zap as a reference. Right. You could hear who he'd influenced yeah. across this yeah. album. And then one of the things that I was reading about that was interesting is um, I think it's the song that people keep referencing in here, which is uh, Watermelon in the Hay, mm-hmm. was the only, uh, like, it's the only, I don't fully understand it. I was trying to read about it, but it's like the only guitar solo on the album. Mm. Like all of the other guitar solos used a, uh, uh, technique called xenochronicity, uh, Zeno-synch- or I think is what it's called. Xenochronicity, um, something like that. Mm-hmm. Where basically all of the other guitar solos were taken from his live albums and overdubbed onto oh, this album. Oh, interesting. But Watermelon in the Hay, I think it's Watermelon in the Hay, 
was um was like all brand new in the studio. Gotcha. Um so that song is really cool. Actually, like I said, all of the all of the songs uh, and all of the guitar work. I actually, you know, we listened to uh, Captain Beefheart mm-hmm. uh, a couple few months ago, um, and so I was actually expecting this to be something more along those ah. lines. And like I said, this is a super listenable album. Oh yeah, for sure. For you know all of the. You know, the fact that I'm at work and I'm like, man, I got I hope my headphones are plugged in. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. I won't have a job. The musicality of it was top notch. There were times of it, times in it where I was like, the sounds going on here are dated. And I can't tell if it's intentional to lampoon mm. sounds of the time, like some of the heavy, like 80s synth wavy sorts of sounds that were happening throughout. Watermelon in, in Easter hay. That's what it's called. Yeah. Watermelon. Um, but. I'm going back to artists that clearly are, are influenced by Zappa just from listening to this, like mm-hmm. Danny Elfman, Steve Vai. Obviously, yeah, I'm pretty sure Steve Vai actually worked mm-hmm. uh, with with Zappa, like being a, a tech or something like that. Or I, I vaguely remember reading an article where he, he was saying that he was transcribing this music for mm-hmm. Zappa, like he would transcribe his solos or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, you know, bands like Ween. You know, Les Claypool, you know, Primus and stuff like that. Like you can hear very clearly the people that were influenced by this album, by Zappa in this album. Um, And that's a trip. Like there was there was a song where it's like, man, I hear Danny Elfman being birthed out of this song. right now. Facebook user says Steve Vai was part of Frank Zappa's band. Ah, That makes sense. And and there was one song where it's like, man, this sounds so Zappa that maybe that is a song, a song that has him on it. There was another song. Let me find my note here. Oh, why do I get the feeling that on the bus is making fun of Santana? Like it felt like the whole song, like the way the guitar was being played and the tonality of it. And it wasn't fully like that Latin rhythm. Right. But there was an edge of that there. I was like, is he celebrating or is he mocking Santana? I can't tell right now. Yeah. But it was kind of wild. Uh, I I fully recommend people uh, who want to hear really good music, like the instrumentation, to mm-hmm. check out this album. Um, for people who... Uh, I don't. I. I don't think there's a lot of reason for other people to listen to it. Like I wouldn't recommend. I'm, I wouldn't like have my wife listen to this and think she'd get anything out of it. I want to say recommend this album to people who are who have ever wanted to have sex with one of those Honda robots. <laughs> check out this album. If you've ever looked at your refrigerator and was like, "Yeah, I'd hit that." I'd check out this. I'd album. say my impression was it's more along the lines of a vacuum cleaner or even a KitchenAid mixer. Is sure. uh, the uh, the sexual appeal of those songs <laughs> something that will probably mangle your junk? Whatever kind of junk you have down there, you're gonna you're gonna be barely walking away from the situation. Uh, but that that machine will not be walking away. <laughs> oh, that machine's done. You're gonna leave it in a uh, the the blue smoke's gonna get out. You can't put the blue smoke back when you're done with those machines. Uh, I will say that anyone who uh, is a fan of the artists that I mentioned who are influenced by this, I think mm. they should listen to this. Steve Vai, uh, Primus, 
uh, Danny Elfman. You know, if you if, you, if there's someone that you like to listen to that's a little bit off kilter, a little bit weird, that does somewhat complicated arrangements and things like that, you should check this out because uh, yeah, it was top notch in the music department. So there you go. That's that's our review of Joe's Garage yep. by Frank Zappa, the uh, the album that is. Ob- openly robosexual. <laughs> All right. This is part of the show where we do a little housekeeping. housekeeping. Uh, so we're going to give a quick shout out at the $10 level, which is the inner circle level to Josh Shaw and to Jake Andrews. So I think I saw Jake Andrews in the chat earlier tonight. Oh, so nice. hello, Jake. If you're not in the chat anymore, we'll hello, be- Jake. You'll see this later. I don't know why I did an um, accent for that, but it was fun. And uh, thanks, guys. At the ten dollar level, you are entitled to jump into the uh, fifty or the inner circle group on Facebook. Just if you're not in there already, uh, hit one of us up, and we will let you in. Um, if you want to support the show at the one dollar or five dollar or sixty-nine dollar level, sixty-eight dollar level, seventy-two dollar level, I don't know. Uh, head on over to patreon.com slash 60 cycle home or just check out the link in the description. Uh, support us at $420 and 69 cents a month. And uh, we'll be your best friends. There you go. <laughs> so we actually skipped over an ad because we replaced an ad with the uh, Epiphone Coronet. Um, but I think we should still do this base. Well, we do have an ad left. We have two ads left. Are we going to do them both? No, let's just do one and then call it a night because we have a whole other podcast episode to do. Uh, this is a bass guitar. It's one of those long boys with four strings that have yeah. the fat, fat, fat strings on it. it Gibson is, introduced oh. its first electric bass in 1953. The EB-1 was a violin-shaped all mahogany uh, instrument that could be played in a stand-up matter with a removable telescopic end pin. The EB-1 did not prove very popular because it's dumb. It and It was sucks. discontinued in 1958 after only 546 were produced. That all changed in 1959. We went to the moon in 1959 when the redesigned Les Paul double cutaway models were introduced. The electric bass variant was produced as a double cutaway model with the EBO moniker due to only having one pickup. The entire Les Paul model line was revamped in 1961 to the SG style that most bassists associate with the EB uh, style Gibson bass. Available as the single pickup EBO or the double pickup EB. Why? This is a freaking copy paste. Tell me about right, right. this. Uh, Bronco Bob played bass with with, with Cubby Chubby. Uh, this says Cubby Checkers band in the summer of 1979. That's got to be a typo. There's no one this, named Cubby yeah, Checker. No, and got this bass autographed autographed by Chubby himself. Bronco Bob's EBO features a custom red, black, and white checkered finish done in acrylic lacquer. Lacquer includes plush line case. Please note: at this time, I will not ship outside the U.S. I will, however, ship outside the U.S. once site's requirements are changed. Uh, and I understand sometimes in November. How old is this? Uh, that because they're saying that sites would be modified in November 2019, which this I believe ad was, was still current as far as I'm aware. Uh, so. so they just haven't updated their thing. Yeah, that's a lot of words only like this short paragraph. But yeah, this is a Gibson EBO in a checkerboardy style finish. It's like they couldn't decide if they wanted to be checkers or chess, so they did both. Look at how slight the book scroll little tulip lips are here on this headstock. I don't remember Gibson's being so slight with that little indent. Hmm. You see that, guys? Oh, it's not going to let me zoom onto it. Man, it is just the tiniest little cut there. I thought the Gibson sh- headstock shape was a little bit yeah, more pronounced than that. Yeah, they're asking 2200 for this plus $200 shipping. Um... 
It's got speed knobs. I don't know what the price of these go for, but I have a feeling that if it didn't have the checkers on it, that would be a fair price. Am I wrong Mm, in assuming that? I think you're wrong. What's the fair price for this? I feel like the fair price for this is like $1,000. Oh, really? I don't think they're worth very much. I don't think there's a lot of guitar fandom for chubby checker either i mean he's he's a pop icon within the early rock and roll scene like who doesn't want to twist i mean we all want to twist everyone wants to twist uh but i don't think most people even really remember who chubby checker was like although i gotta say i remember who chubby checker was and the fact that he signed this and it's got this checkerboard motif I kind of like it. I'm kind of into this bass right now. And I am a fan of checkers. Oh my God. I like the game checkers. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it'd give me excuse. It'd give me excuse to learn to play bass mm-hmm. and start a ska band. <laughs> Man. I saw that comment earlier today. <laughs> So these 70s EBOs, I'm seeing them on reverb for like 11 to 1400 basically. Okay. Uh, this is distinctive from the older EBO because the the humbucker So you're uh, paying I think the- it's a different which it's a different pickup and it's further away from the neck. So they want that $1000 upcharge just for the chubby checker signature. Yeah, Even though it was a job. chubby checker signature from the 70s or the 80s something like that. It's from the 1979 Okay, late 70s. So summer it's not- of 1979. So we went to the moon in 1959, and then in the summer of 79, that's when Brian Adams got his first real six-string. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I mean, 79 isn't exactly the heyday for Chubby Checker. Um, so, I mean, if this was a guitar, if this was a bass that Chubby Checker signed in the early 60s, Maybe that would be. Does it matter when he signed a it? A different story. I feel like that doesn't. I feel like that's a weird. I feel like that's a weird delineation. I want to honor Chubby Checker. I don't want to diss on Chubby Checker, but I'm sorry, Chubby. I don't think your signature warrants a, a you know, an upcharge on this. Something fell in here. Okay, yeah, I, that's fair. If you want to say. That, uh, I think it's a curiosity. I would love to have this bass with the signature on it as a curiosity. But you know who signed this this bass? Chubby Checker. And then look at the look on my friends' faces as they you know try to figure out who Chubby Checker is because they can't remember. Also, he twisted twice. He did the twist. Oh, again. I know. Let's twist again. I know. And That's what her- people did. They did sequels to songs and slow twisted. <laughs> oh, was- he did Limbo. Where he was on Limbo Rock. It was a huge smash. The twist was humongous. Of course, he's going to do a sequel. You can't have a smash hit song and not come back with a hit sequel. You know, you know, you know. Uh, Lady Gaga's got sequels to all her songs. Katy Perry's got sequels to all her songs. That's how it works, right? Um, going backing up to something, something uh, you were saying. Um, he's still alive. So you're telling Chubby me... Chubby Checker's still alive? Chubby Checker's still alive. I could still get him to sign something. So, yeah, so this is the thing is you're saying that if you got something signed by Chubby Checker now, you think it would have less value than if you got something signed by Chubby Checker in like 1960. Yes. Why does it matter how old the signature is? Because it was, if he did it when he was there, when he was twisting, I want a signature from him mid-twist, Steve. I feel like that's not a thing. It's important to me. I 
<laughs> I mean, you're I want, just like ruining. No, I want, I want, uh, I want a guitar that's got a giant, just huge nonsense signature on the back. And I'm like, yeah, that was Chubby Checker. And people are like, how can you tell? I was like, well, it's a little rough because he was twisting when he signed it. I'm just the next Nam. Whenever Nam happens again, if Nam ever happens again, I want you to walk over to Orange Orange Amps and uh, yeah, or you know, rock, walk over to whatever. I forget what the the amp brand that always has it. You can and, do it. You can do it. When, I believe in you. When Lita Ford is doing signatures ah. and just go. This signature would be cooler if it was from 1987. It would be cooler. Just go over to the the Geezer Butler okay. Geezer Butler booth. This signature was cooler in 1968. Imagine, Steve. You got to put your you got to put yourself in the shoe the shoes of someone who would appreciate those signatures. Do you want a Jimmy Eat World signature? Now, or do you want Jimmy Eat World from the peak of their career signing your thing? I understand. There's do you like want a- Do you want uh, Jim at World himself uh, to sign your Telecaster Deluxe just before they hit it big, and then you have that signature in your collection, or do you want? Oh, I ran into Jim at World at the mall the other day, and he signed my Starbucks cup. That's a different level. But that's a different signature. object. You're telling me, okay, you get, you're telling me that Dick Dale. Yeah. You would rather, okay, you got a strap pick guard. Uh huh. And you go back in on a time machine with your 2008 strap pick guard. Uh huh. And you see Dick Dale and you're like, sign my strap pick guard in 1963, whatever, yeah. 1961. Yeah, good year. Yeah. Versus you go to a Dick Dale concert at the Fender plant in 2008 with the same strap pick guard and you're like, Sign my pick guard that you think the one, the old one is legitimately cooler. Well, Steve. And then, no, no, hold on, hold on. Hold on. And then, and then you're like going, you go to sell it. Yeah. And you're like, well, I've got both of these. Uh, I'm selling the one that was signed in 2008 uh, uh, for uh, $1,000. But the one that was signed in 1963, even though it's the same object, it's just an older signature. That one's three thousand dollars. It's not because it's older. It's because it happened in the in the time when it was happening, man. And also in one of your scenarios that you came up with, time travel is a factor. Do not tell me you do not prefer the object that has time traveled with you. That is a historic object, but, Steve. So the thing is, is you have broken the veil uh, and smashed through it's the barrier machine. of time with an object to have it signed. Do not tell me that it is the same value as the object you had signed in the present, Steve. Okay. We're going to break up right now. <laughs> Chunky checker. I don't care. I don't care if it's worth more or less. I'm just saying the intrinsic value would be higher to me if I had a signature from someone, uh, you know, in their prime. As a personal owner, I understand that. What I'm saying is, if you were wanting to buy an object, right? If you were just purchasing, it's not something that you collected. You have no memory. You weren't alive when Chunky Checker was doing the twist. Chubby. Whatever. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Get his name right. That's his Christian God-given name, Steve. Chumb- Chumbly Checker. Uh, <laughs> Chub- Chubsworth Ch- Checker. Ch- Chumbawamba Checker. Chub you. So he, gets, Chub- <laughs> he gets knocked down, but then he twists again. <laughs> you're never going to keep him down. Um, no, you're like, I'm just saying, like, it's. I understand, like, if you have a personal connection to an object, it's like, oh man, I would have loved to get. Like, getting Marshawn Lynch's signature after the Beastquake game is way cooler than getting it at, like, a football convention. Don't now it's you like, spoil whatever. this with sports. <laughs> But it's like keep your filthy sports out of this. But if you're just buying an object, unless it's, I mean, I guess like even like it's if it's going to have historical significance, it can't just be like I got this old chubby checker thing he signed in 1963. It's got to be like this is a signed record, verified that Hendrix signed this record at the Monterey jazz here's festival. a picture of him signing it and me standing there with doc brown and neither of us is fading away so deal with it <laughs> we're here to stay our future is secure way to secure the future right no fate oh my god it's sarah, future steve stop the <laughs> sarah sarah connor is there too oh hi sarah yeah I, here's what i want i want a, an eb base okay signed by Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> signed by Joan of Arc, signed by Genghis Khan, <laughs> signed by Ludwig van Beethoven. If we're gonna bring uh, Socrates, <laughs> if we're gonna Abraham bring, Lincoln, if we're like Abraham Lincoln, if Billy we're gonna, the Kid, if we're gonna bring time travel into it, I'm gonna. I don't know why I threw Thomas Jefferson into it. <laughs> I'm gonna recreate. Dumb. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That was what that would happen if time travel ever gets actually invented. Someone is going to recreate Bill and Ted's, <laughs> and it's going to be a major problem. It's going to oh ruin gosh. history because some chucklehead with a time machine is like, "Oh, I want to do the Bill and Ted's thing. <laughs> Let's go get Napoleon <laughs> to sign this base. <laughs> to sign this base. All right, tell us about the song, Steve, and then we'll get out of here. It's a song." I hope so. Are we running out of songs? Don't forget, guys, a long December contest or a long December episode uh, due uh, last week of December, I'm guessing. We'll get official information out soon. But record yourself doing a cover of Long December, and we're going to do an episode with nothing but Long December covers. (laughs) Long December. There's reason to believe. Oh, gross. Roy Beatty just said poo signed by gg allen <laughs> oh, uh, gross. or something signed in poo by gg allen there's no song this week what guys send songs so we have a song to play in the future that means no song next week either damn okay you know what no it's been the first week. time in a couple years that we haven't had songs what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna find something international to play at the end it's uh, international. Da, 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 Some kind of uh, foreign language garage rock, maybe another national anthem. Man, it's been years since the national anthems. So anyways, thanks for watching, listening, doing all that stuff. Uh, please subscribe. Uh, go over to iTunes and leave us a review on iTunes if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, we don't, we haven't checked those in forever, but they do help the podcast. Um, and you know what? I invite you to say absurd things in the reviews like... 
make fun of us, tell people not to listen to us, tell people that uh, we're time travelers with nefarious intentions. And uh, you know what? Stay grounded. Bye, everybody. See ya. Choro pelo meu amor Eu chorarei pelo meu amor O meu olhar se perdeu Como a menina Ai, dá, ai, dá Agora choro Sinto a solidão, sinto a erosão, a lua é de mim, serão de mim. Vejo o som mais cedo, sinto a solidão.